Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we are back, and uh, we're going to go to who I know is probably the most socially responsible outdoor person I know, Mr. Nate Zolinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing today? You know, I'm doing well, and I said that, you know, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I really meant it because I know the family man that you are and how important it is to protect those kids and your wife works in healthcare and things. So I understand that those are just a really important things to you, but that doesn't mean we're quitting enjoying the outdoors, does it? That's for sure, Terry. You know, I mean, again, I think it's all uh, just about social responsibility right now. Um, I think you can still do a lot of our outdoor activities. I think being, again, like we keep saying, I think being outside in fresh air and sunshine, uh, I think it's very good for you. I think it's very good for you health-wise. Um, and I also think it's very good for your mental capability. Obviously, I think a lot of us are, are working at a slower pace uh, and or having such a change of schedule. I think getting out there is a, a very healthy thing. Uh, I think, you know, the outdoors are, are definitely a healing matter. Uh, so I think on both sides, I think it's great to be outside. But again, like we keep saying, you have to do it very responsibly. Uh, and that's probably well, the biggest um, thing. So I think as long as people continue that, we're going to be good. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. Two reasons to be socially responsible. It's the right thing to do so we don't spread this disease. And two, is if we're not, we're going to get some of this taken away from us for a while. So the longer we respect each other and just get out there and and do it with respect and obey the rules and things, the longer we can all enjoy the outdoors. And Nate, there's a pretty special outdoor time that's starting, isn't there? There is, you know, Terry, uh, I mean, you start talking, there are two things, let's just start off with this. You're talking about the, the social responsibility. Um, I, I had a lot of long conversations this week with uh, some of the, the, the higher managers at CPW and talking about keeping the boat docks open, the parks open, and uh, again, it's 100% on us. Uh, you know, if all of a sudden it's really heavy groups in boats, a lot of social gathering in parking lots, uh, that's where we're going to see those restrictions start taking place. So again, just for the sake of keeping things open, uh, it is up to us. It's nobody being mean. It's nobody picking on us. Um, literally, it is up to us. If we uh, if we respect it, it's going to stay open. If we disrespect it and you know really group up, uh, it's not going to be good. So we're just going to throw that out there. But yes, Terry, you know when you talk about hunting, I mean anything, birds, big game. I mean th- there's so many animals out there. You know the small game, big game birds that we we hunt. But any time of any species of anything we do, when you add a vocal aspect to it, it really just increases the overall, you know, entertainment and just the excitement um, of that hunt. I mean, you know, we always talk about elk hunting and how it's the ultimate animal. And obviously they're just such a majestic creature. But when you get into a rutting situation, those big bulls are bugling. There's nothing like that sound. But right below that, uh, kind of the cousin in those aspects, is hunting turkeys in the spring. When you get out there and you have just an exciting bird to hunt, but let alone you throw in the, the vocal aspect, and you have that big gobbler gobbling away, coming in, you add the calling aspect, uh, it makes for some unbelievably exciting times. And it's kind of a, a hunt that has swept the nation. I mean, turkey hunting has been around forever, but literally in every state, it's the one bird or one animal, one hunting species uh, that has not shown any sign of decrease. The population is through the roof. Even when you have 
really rough springs of drought and hail and predation on eggs, uh, the turkey population continues to skyrocket. Some years it's a small growth, some years it is a massive growth, but regardless, that population is doing extremely well. You know, good good props to the Wild Turkey Federation for continuing the growth of those animals and birds. Um, but again, turkey hunting is beyond popular as a sport. Our season starts next weekend. We have a very warm week, which is just dynamite for turkey hunting. Now, next weekend, we have some storms coming through. Uh, temperatures don't get too cold. Uh, but this week, we have amazing weather, which is just going to skyrocket uh, that turkey season and excel it for that opening day next weekend. So definitely a lot of excitement in the air coming forth for turkey hunting. Again, it's a sport you can do by yourself, so you can get out there and respect uh, you know, all the, the rules that are set forth. Uh, and again, it's a very exciting time. Well, you know, I got to, I got to pile on a couple of things you said. One is the fact that um, turkeys, you know, I drive, go up to Northern Minnesota or drive around Colorado where I never used to see turkeys before because of habitat and planting. The turkeys are everywhere. It's hard not to drive somewhere in the country and not see a turkey anymore. And once somebody gets out, like you said, in that blind, and has to get in the comfort zone of a turkey to bring it in close enough, whether it's a shotgun or a bow to harvest it, to interact with that bird, what it takes. You know, a, a friend of mine said, if turkeys had a sense of smell, we'd never harvest one because their <laughs> eyesight and hearing is so good. It's really, you have to get out there, but it's just amazing when you get in that stealth mode, even if you don't harvest a turkey, what you will see in that blind, Nate. Oh, absolutely. Again, when you, we talk about that all the time, it's almost like a tree stand. Whenever you're hidden, you know, so much of us as, us as a Western hunter are used to spotting and stalking. And we see a lot of wildlife, but when you still hunt and, you know, whether you're in a blind or a tree stand, you're sitting there and you just watch nature around you, the squirrels and the raccoons and, you know, whatever else that you see. Um, it's pretty incredible to see nature as it is every day without us around. It's so neat to just kind of sit there and observe everything. But like you said, uh, you know, you really get into that, that, that close quarters of those turkeys and, you know, they're fired up and you're trying to outsmart them. And I couldn't agree with you more. You know, we always, I, who knows how you describe it. I hear so many people say that turkeys are stupid. I hear so many people that say they're, they're so smart. I hear other people that just say they're just skittish. Um, I think it's a combination of everything. Cause I mean, obviously when you get them dialed in, you have the right call and the right set. Um, they come right in on a string. But, boy, if things are not just right, um, it's more that skittish behavior where they're just looking and listening. Um, and, boy, if they don't feel it's quite right, they do not come in. Very similar to kind of like a pronghorn. You know, uh, when things are right, it's easy. When things are not right, it, it is not going to happen for you. And like you said, if a turkey could smell, I agree, it would be the ultimate of all animals. Because, again, hearing's phenomenal. Sight is insane. I mean, if you literally – one thing's not right. They they catch you and they are gone. Uh, so again, yeah, if they could smell, they would be uh, that'd be almost impossible. But thank goodness they can't, and uh, we have that going for us. So again, it, it's exciting time here in Colorado, and I think I want to I want to just touch base on a few things. I wrote some articles this week about turkey hunting and did a lot of talks about turkey. Um, and one of the biggest things I think is. So many of us, you know, will go down to like a Bass Pro Shops and have these amazing decoys. You know, the decoys have gone through the roof. You know, ten years ago. Our decoys were okay, and they got the job done. But now, I mean, our decoys are just amazing. They're lighter. They're packable. They have movement. They have real beards. Um, you know, our turkey sets are, are flawless. Our calls are, are amazing. You know, no matter what you're using, whether it's a diaphragm or a box call or a slate, um, you know, the, the calls have gotten better. Everything 
on the gear side of turkey hunting has gotten better. The camouflage, the the shotgun, you know, choke tubes, the patterns that you're shooting out of your shells, um, everything has gotten better. And I think so many hunters go out with this amazing gear and sometimes don't have success. And they blame themselves. They're like, man, I know there was turkeys in the area, and they, they must not have liked my call, or they just must not have liked my decoy set. But in reality, uh, I think so many of us are going out here hunting turkeys, and we're just not near turkeys. Um, you know, if you're on a plain set, so if you're on flat ground, no matter where that is, um, you know, a lot of times you're going to visually see these birds, and it makes it so much easier. And kind of a shout out to the people that are hunting mountain birds. Um, you know, so everybody up in the hills hunting these birds, you usually don't have the visual capabilities. You know, you just don't see them as much. They're just not out in the open as much. You know, they're kind of running around the forest floor. Um, so the visual capabilities are not quite there, making it a little bit tougher. Um, and with that being said, I think so many times it's so important to spend more time making sure you're on birds. So whether that is more time scouting or spending more time, you know, in the evening before you hunt, trying to locate a roost tree, or most importantly, spending that first hour, hour and a half of light when these birds first start gobbling from their roost, covering an immense amount of ground to find birds in their roost to where you can have a good plan of, hey, when that bird jumps out and starts walking to his feeding grounds or walking to wherever he's going, I'm going to be in the right position. Because uh, again, I think so many people go out there, you know, they pick a nice meadow or they pick a spot where they think there's some turkeys. They set their blinds, set their decoys, start calling, nothing happens. And they're like, oh man, something wasn't right. When in reality, they just didn't have turkeys near them. So locating birds is number one, the most important thing. I think once you're on active birds, the rest is, is fairly easy. I'm not saying it's super easy, but the odds are in your favor. Again, locating birds is everything. And I think so many people put so much emphasis on their gear and that kind of thing. And, and really it's the lack of birds in the area that, that costs them the, the success of a hunt. Well, I think you're absolutely right. It's just, uh, you know, so much of any hunt is predetermined in scouting and getting things planned right. Now, one of the things you mentioned was locating those roosting trees. You know, it's okay in turkey hunting to spend the first day or two of your hunt, if you haven't been able to out scouting, to do that. But if you can get out ahead of time, it's even better. Do you try to get ahead of time or do you spend the first couple days scouting? You know, I do. I try to get out ahead of time. And the biggest thing for me, I don't really spend any time out there, you know, say midday, things like that. I see a lot of guys scouting, you know, middays. I'm doing almost all my scouting, you know, the for the half hour, hour before light, maybe 30 minutes in the light, um, just when those birds are still in their roost. That's when they're going to be the most talkative uh, for us right now. Once they hit the ground, it's still so early. Uh, you know, we're not having a ton of breeding taking place right now, at least on the mountain birds. Uh, kind of on the front range and plains, we're seeing a little bit more of that breeding activity but um again the, the first portion of the the day uh when those birds are in their roost is when they're most comfortable and that's when they're going to be doing most of the gobbling uh same thing as once they jump into their roost at night um you know a little bit more activity in the morning than at night but regardless once they're in the comfort of their roost they're talking more so i'm spending more time scouting right at that low light periods of the day both morning and evening to where i can really you know have a hope hope to hear these birds locate those birds um then you know pinpoint point exactly where they're at um, and that's how I'm doing most of my scouting is, is those early times of the day when they're really vocal uh, just to know where they're at what they're doing uh, and then I build a plan of where they're going after that roost in the morning and that's how I kind of set up for my for my hunt and for my day yeah and it uh, I think that the number one thing I can tell people who've never turkey hunted is um, if you haven't 
probably you shouldn't because it will take over your life. Um, it's, it's, it is probably, I remember when um, Bob Saley, you know, he wrote Sultans of the Spring. He told me one time that one of his boys wasn't into the outdoors as much as his other kids. And it always kind of bothered him a little bit. And he said, so he took him on a turkey hunt and he was an adult already, I believe. And this is so long that Bob told me this story. Um, he said they, he went out turkey hunting and on his first trip out, he was able to call in and harvest the tom. And this was years ago. That was a feat back then, I mean, to have that experience. Yep. They got back to the car, and he turned to his dad, and he said, I was born to do this. <laughs> turkey hunting just it, turkey hunting will capture you, Nate. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it's so funny because it's one of those things that you can really do. Uh, you know, like my kids love it. You know, I was six years old, and they tag along in the woods with me. Um, you know, family members, close quarters where we live together. So the social distancing thing kind of goes there. And uh, they love it. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, the train's fairly easy. You can sit in a blind so little kids can move around. Uh, you know, and obviously the vocal activity there. And, you know, it's great because, like, I can give my six-year-old push calls. They can push the call. They can make turkey noises. They can interact with the turkeys. Uh, so that is kind of something cool. So definitely for beginners, uh, it is a great, you know, starting hunt. And uh, again, something that will definitely get you hooked once you, once you hear those gobbles, uh, you know, coming at you and, and working those birds. So it's exciting in that matter. Uh, the other thing we want to talk about, we're going to kind of cover turkey over the next couple of weeks, just little bits and pieces in between as we talk about spring fishing. But with that being said, I also want to talk about the number one thing with turkeys as far as creating success. It is very similar to the archery elk season here in Colorado. I would say that so many of us, have not hunted since sometime between, you know, last September and last November, as far as, you know, really getting out there in the woods, obviously some of us waterfowl hunt, but regardless, there's been a gap in some of us as we've been out in the woods hunting. Uh, so, so many of us are excited. Now I would say this quarantine has not settled that down at all. Obviously we're always excited to get out and turkey hunt. Um, but, you know, usually sometimes day-to-day -day busy life of work uh, keeps you going. This quarantine, whether you're, you're actively working as essential or not, um, things have slowed down a little bit, which I think has increased uh, the, the anxiety of people wanting to get out and turkey hunt. So with that being said, opening day is just everybody is out there. Everybody is excited. Um, and just like elk, opening day of elk, everybody gets out there. And turkeys, just like elk, um, they're talking now, but it really it's coming forth as we get into mid, later April, even early May, um, that we really see that activity level increase, that we really see the, the success rate of the average hunter increase. Um, so it's one of those things that right now, even though we're all gung-ho to get out there, plan accordingly, have it in your calendar. Um, you know, if you have, say, hey, I'm allotted six days to turkey hunt, whether that's because of work or because of family. If you have six days to turkey hunt, hunt one day opening day, then give it a couple of days and go again, but really spread out your allotted time. Uh, because again, so many of us get out there, hunt hard for the first weekend, the first four or five days, uh, maybe don't have success and we kind of give it up. Um, I can't tell you how much hunting I do in May, um, you know, and I'm out there and, you know, early May and there's not a turkey hunter around, and the birds are just losing their mind, especially as the hens get bred. So as those hens get bred, as they start nesting on those eggs, all of a sudden there's less active hens, and those gobblers go searching. So early in a year like this, you might have a group of 15, 20 hens, um, you know, and you have gobblers working them. They're tied up, you know, so they're not moving around. So if you're not on birds, you know, it's harder to find them. Once those hens nest and once you lose hens, 
those gobblers literally start searching for more hens to breed. So all of a sudden, those hens are con- or the, the gobblers and toms are constantly covering more ground in the later in the season, which you know increases your odds of hearing and running into those birds. So uh, again, just a quick tip: I mean, if you're on birds, great, hunt them hard. Uh, but if you go out on opening day or you go out in you know the next couple of weeks and you're not quite on birds, don't give up. Just keep hunting because again, it will get better and better as the season goes forward. Now, we're really out of time, but I'm going to steal a couple minutes. I know Chris from Blue Quill Angler is waiting patiently, and Chris, we're going to spend plenty of time. Um, I'm going to steal some time from the next one because he's going to talk fly fishing. But real quick, have you seen anything out there fishing that people might want to take advantage of? The, the walleye bite continues to just be one of the best springs we've ever had. Uh, so daytime at Cherry Creek, even daytime at Chatfield now as we get into post-spawn fish is incredible. The night bite at, at Chatfield is absolutely incredible. Um, so, again, even though we have some awesome uh, ice fishing going on, which we'll kind of talk about next week, uh, right now front-range walleye cannot be beat. So, uh, again, if you're looking for some close activities at home, uh, the walleye bite at Chatfield Cherry Creek is second to none right now. All right, my friend, if people want more information, where do they find you? Absolutely. Just stay tuned to our Facebook page. We're doing a lot of updates. Again, we're kind of doing things, you know, day by day. Uh, but again, Tightline Outdoors on Facebook, we have a lot of posts there. Uh, stay tuned there, and we'll keep you informed. All right, we will talk to you next week. You be safe. Talk to you soon. All right, we're going to take a quick time out. When we get back, Chris Steinbeck from the Blue Quill Angler is going to join us, and we're going to talk fly fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Yeah, we'll play the Eagles now, and you know I couldn't go to their concert last week because it was canceled, but I am think I'm going in September, Kyle, so you're not getting to me on this. Yeah, no, no, I'm not trying to get to you, and uh, that should be a good concert. You'll probably uh, enjoy it even more now after after what's going on. Uh, You're absolutely right. They're great. uh, And, you know, I mentioned it earlier, Kyle, that music just, uh, it has a way of lifting our spirits. I know a lot of uh, artists are doing home concerts on TV. I watched... uh, we watched um, Trisha Yearwood and uh, Garth and that last and Garth last night, and it was just tremendous. And we had taped it earlier, and there's just, you know, it's, it's something uplifting. But every now and then you got to get away from things. So I'm going to go to the phones right now, and we're going to be joined by Chris Steinbeck from the Blue Quill Angler. And you know, Chris, if any one sport kind of lent itself to social distancing, fly fishing is probably it, wouldn't you think? <laughs> that is, I uh, I definitely agree, and it's something that we've loved about fly fishing forever. You know, yeah. In fact, if you get too close to a fly fisherman, he's probably mad at you anyway. Even if it wasn't for coronavirus, <laughs> and even if you're with somebody, you need room to cast. Although I've been known to kind of horn in if my partner is catching too many more fish than me. So <laughs> I think I've seen that once or twice. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> you know, all kidding aside, I want to get to what you guys are doing at the shop to survive and a little later on in the segment. But right now, um, right now, you know, it could change daily, but they're encouraging us to get outside. And fishing is one of the things that are being encouraged they're actually encouraging people to get out, whether it's fishing a pond, fishing the shoreline, or even in a boat. But fly fishing is something that people could take advantage of. You can get a little solitude. You know, Maybe you need to get away and, and just gather your thoughts while you're casting or something. It can be therapeutic. The water is therapeutic. Uh, what are you seeing out there fishing-wise, Chris? 
Yeah, so this time of year, um, the rivers are just on fire. Um, it's a, such a great time to be out on the water. Um, local rivers, Clear Creek and Bear Creek, Waterton Canyon, those are all going to start fishing really, really strong. Um, yeah, it's just it's an awesome time. We're starting to see our first mayfly hatch of the year, the bluing olives get going. Um, we're getting continual midge hatches in the morning. Um, you know, rainbows have been, depending on the drainage you're fishing, they're either in full spawn or pre-spawn right now. And, um, that's just a great time. And it's, uh, <laughs> besides the virus, obviously not talking about that, but it's just a great time to be outside on the water and like you mentioned, clear in the head, there's something about standing in a river. Just well, no matter what stresses you have in life, the solution standing in a river. And it clears the head. And I know I'm biased in that, but I, uh, I'm a firm believer. Yeah, well, I know Karen's a firm believer in me getting out there and clearing my head in the river. In fact, she keeps encouraging me to wade out further, especially during <laughs> runoff. But, you know. <laughs> you know, seriously, speaking of runoff, uh, how long do you think we? You know, we don't have we don't have a crystal ball. Are the flows manageable right now? Yeah, the flows are all really, really manageable on the South Platte. They're 149 out of Cheeseman this morning. Um, up on the Blues, got really good flows. The Colorado and the Arkansas have great flows right now. Um, the South Platte Basin, we're still over 100 percent of our snowpack. I think 108 or nine. I think was the last um, model I saw, and so. That's going to create a good runoff season, and I anticipate that starting probably about mid-May or so. Um, you know, unless we the snow stops and we get hot weather between now and then, but they should uh, the whole month of April should be really good flows, great fishing, um, and then as we get into early May, we should start seeing some increases across the state in both the freestones and our tailwaters. Yeah, I think, like you said, we've got a month to six weeks if we're typical weather. Now, obviously, neither one of us has a crystal ball. And so you've got a window now to get out. And once that runoff starts, there is quite a bit of snow. And we're probably going to see more limited areas when we're getting out. And it's going to be more difficult to find places to separate yourself because people will be going to controlled tailwaters more. And But, you know, a good option when that happens is flat water and lakes. We'll talk more about that later. Give me a few ideas if you were going to, you know, is there some good access points? I, I assume that you guys can't guide right now, but you can give a lot of recommendations to people, right? That's that's correct. We are not guiding right now, um, but our phones are open, and we're happy to point people in the right directions, tell you where to go, different access points, what good flies to use, um, anything along those lines. So um, are you suggesting that, you know, I mean, and I have trouble interpreting what the state says, you know, they want you to recreate by home, but if you get a, in a car alone and you drive up to the Ark, drive to the Arkansas or drive to the Pooter, you know, you're in that car alone and you're getting out alone, I would think they wouldn't be upset with you, but there are so many river options, even right through Denver and close by, aren't there? You mentioned a bunch of them, in fact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the South Platte that runs all the way down through Denver. Um, right now, there's uh, up from Chatfield, moving up from the lake. The suckers are in spawn mode right now. Um, and that's going to bring other fish up in the system as well, um, rainbows especially. And that's such a great option. Close to home if you guys are nervous about driving anywhere. Um, yeah, and the big thing I'd say is avoid crowds. If you get into a parking lot and you see a few other cars, go find a different parking lot. Go try to do your best to be socially responsible. 
Uh, but I'm with you, Terry. We've tried our best to really understand what the state wants everybody to do. And, um, yeah, it, it is. It's it's tough. It's a gray line. It's not black or white. And uh, I think getting out when you're not near anybody, again, I'm biased, but I just don't think uh, – I think there's a lot worse things we could be doing, right? Right. Well, and then I think I've been preaching this over the last few weeks is that if you get – whether you're fishing or hiking – or, you know, going to a trailhead, going to a river, going to a lake, whatever your activity is, even if you're just going for a walk, if you get somewhere and it's crowded, go a different place, as you mentioned, or go a different time. And you know what? If you get to that, maybe, you know, you know how popular Deckers is. If you get down to that Deckers area and there's too many cars there, now is the time to explore a different stretch of the river that you've been wanting to that you're not sure of. Don't make a certain catch rate your goal, make getting out your goal. And this is a great time to experiment, try different flies, work on that cast that, that Lord knows I could spend a lot of time working on my cast. (laughs) And, and like you mentioned, I mean, and it's not just like one time of the day is going to be fishing good. So um, varying the times you're going to avoid the crowds is a great option. Um, You know, the anglers that are going in the morning, you're going to be throwing a lot of eggs this time of year, a lot of midges, um, and as it progresses to the afternoon, it's a whole different ball game. Then we start getting more of the betas activity. We're going to have a few more dry fly shots in the afternoons. And so, um, and nymphing will be good too. So depending on whether you go in the morning or afternoon, the fishing's going to be good. Um, and I'm a firm believer in what you just said there, Terry, of just mixing up the times that you're going as well to avoid those crowds. Now at the shop, obviously there's restrictions and things. Tell us how you're dealing with it, how people get a hold of you, what you can do if they need something. Kind of go through what's happening at the Blue Quill Angler. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, like I mentioned earlier, we are not guiding right now. We have our whole retail store up in Evergreen shut down. Uh, But we do, we are processing Internet orders. um, And we're doing curbside pickups as well uh, for the time being. And um, one thing that I saw the Colorado wearing face masks, a lot of people are doing that. And I know our guys here at the shop are trying our, their best to, uh, yeah, best to keep everybody safe. And we have a super limited staff. We've been sanitizing everything up here in the shop. Um, but, you know, Terry, this goes so much further than here in Evergreen. Um, the whole industry, whether it's fly fishing or conventional, um, this is such a great time to, to support your local shop. If you're down, you know, in Colorado Springs, you got Angler's Covey and the Peak down there. Um, even in Denver, you have Trouts and Angler's All and Charlie's Fly Box. I mean, we're all in the same boat. And um, if you're lucky enough to have a shop that you're local to, it's so we appreciate so much support, and every shop does. And, um, and now's the time to do it to really back up the people who've been so influential in our industry. And um, yeah, so going you know, a little bit more about what we're doing. If anybody has questions on places to fish, call us up here at the shop. Uh, our number is 303-674-4700. We're happy to uh, place orders. And we also have drop boxes outside. And so those are lock boxes. And anybody who's nervous about any kind of interaction, we can put product in these drop boxes and assign a specific code to people so there's no interaction whatsoever. And people can pick up their orders 24 hours a day doesn't have to be just during business hours either. So, so if people want more information, the best way to get started is probably your website. Uh, what, what, give them the website so they know. Yeah, our website is 
www.bluequillangler.com. Um, and we also, on our social media, we keep it as updated as we can on fishing reports and what the shop's up to and different hot flies. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, just at Blue Quill Angler. All right, my friend, you stay safe and healthy, but make sure you get outside and do get a little time on the river, okay? Oh, I'm going to try my best, Terry. Thank you so much for having me on, and uh, you stay healthy too, my friend. All right, thank you, and uh, good luck to all of us. We'll get through this together. Uh, you bet. You bet. And I look forward to standing in the river near you, Terry. All right. We'll be doing that together soon, I'm sure. Thanks, Chris. Hey, you bet. You take care. Chris Steinbeck from the Blue Koala Angler. Great people. You know, everybody's, if you if you have a chance to support any, like he said, all the local shops and things, a lot of them are finding a way. Uh, just make sure you follow the guidelines and what's right and what's being asked and 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 also mandated by our government agencies but let's find a way to take care of each other get through this and we'll get through it quicker than ever we're going to take a quick time out we come back brad peterson's going to join us we're going to talk about maybe some pond fishing and he had a little experience with lyme disease we talked about earlier so we may touch on several things with brad right here on terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan music just makes me feel better we're broadcasting from our palatial studios in fort collins this is terry wickstrom outdoors we're trying to be just socially conscious no symptoms or anything we just want to make sure that we uh we do the right thing at the right time but let's go right to the phones and uh joining us is brad peterson good morning brad good morning terry yeah you know before we get started russ called in and he wants to know if uh you can buy licenses online, and if you if we recommend or if there's any regulations about eating fish in Fort Collins, and Russ, the answer to that is you certainly can buy your fishing license online, and you may not get it in the mail for a while, but you can print out your confirmation, and they'll accept that. And Brad, um, this is a great time to take a few fish home and eat them, isn't it? It is. And regarding that last question, one thing I've done um, because I fish a lot of different places is I took a screenshot of that uh, of my fishing license printout and have it on my phone. And as long as you have that confirmation number with all the information, um, most game wardens will accept that. So that way, as long as you've got your phone with you, you're ready to go and legal. But uh, as you say, this is a great time to go out and uh, catch some fish, take them home for a meal. And, and the good thing with a lot of us not having a lot of other activities going on is you can eat that fish right away. And I'm sure, Terry, you agree that no matter how well you freeze fish, it's never as good as it is if you eat it fresh. Oh, and you're absolutely right. And and that fish is not going to be contaminated by anything. It's going to be probably less likely that, that you know, you're not going to get a fish because of COVID virus because it hasn't been handled by anybody else. Uh, the fish in the water is not going to be contaminated. Now, if you just want to catch a few stocker trout, um, go to the stocking report and find a pond near you that they put trout into, and you can fish that from shore. But I know you've also been out checking the ponds for bass and panfish. Is that right? Yeah, I've got a few ponds here locally that I've been able to get out on. Um, luckily, they're they're private, so I've been able to. Uh, experience the social distancing at the best, but there are public opportunities as well. Um, And the warm weather we had last week really got those fish starting to fire up. 
And I went out even yesterday afternoon and was able to get to catch some bass. Now, there's a, a real interesting thing I'm finding with the ponds I've been going to is a lot of times in the springtime, you think about slower presentation, the fish aren't as active, you know, maybe more of a jig or a, a drop shot type rig or something like that to get the fish to bite. And I was having trouble getting fish to bite that. And, and some of these ponds are fairly clear where I actually could watch the reaction. And I went to a horizontal presentation, a slower horizontal presentation, and we're getting them to do a reaction bite. So stuff like spinner baits and swim baits that uh, are going horizontal, I was using both the, the bio bait, swim bait, and uh, a 360 GT in light jig heads, you know, three three sixteenths, one eighth ounce, so that you're able to move it slow, but keep it going horizontal. And the fish were really reacting well to that and even picked up a few nice crappies doing that as well. Well, and the thing is, because uh, we've had some up and down weather, those fish aren't necessarily staged all in one area and they never do anyway. And each pond is different, but you're able to cover a little more water like that. And then I would think after this next warm spell, if you're just going after the bass, you could even throw as long as you don't over over uh, retrieve it out, uh, things like a rattle trap or something, and and cover some water. Glad you mentioned the crappies though, because crappies and bluegills are one of my favorite ways to fish ponds in the spring. And once you locate those fish, a lot of times I'll cast a jig around, I'll work it. But once I locate them, I love to put on a bobber with a little bit of a uh, either bait or some form of a scented soft plastic, a small one. Uh, the leech from uh, the tiny leech from uh, bio bait would be good. Some of the little gulps would be good. And you can put those on and put them under a bobber. And you can still have, if you have a second rod stamp, be casting a lure. And once you get those fish going on that bobber, I've caught some of my best bunches of crappies and size of crappies just fishing under a bobber, maybe a foot or two down in these ponds. Yeah, that's, that is a great way to do it. And the other thing that you can do that even increases your chances a little bit is I like setting it up to where I have a heavier jig on the bottom and then maybe a foot to 18 inches above that jig. I put a little dropper loop out and put either a little fly or a little um, ice lure that doesn't have a whole lot of weight to it. And then you can use little ice plastics or, you know, wax worms or, or a little piece of worm that, you know, we're getting warm enough that the worms are getting active. So you probably can go dig them up in your in your garden or your yard. And just a little piece of that, and what you might end up doing is start to double up on both catching crappies and bluegills or, or even some perch in these ponds. But it increases your chances, and because sometimes these fish are at different areas in the water column, by doing that, you're able to cover a couple different depths while, you know, using the float. And like you say, you can put the float out. If there's a little bit of wave action, it'll kind of, you know, move it along and you're still able to do some casting. But once you're able to really dial in that depth, it can really be productive. And sometimes this, this time of year, it's, it's weird how finicky fish can get as far as the size of presentation. So by having two different sizes, you're trying to, you know, cover a lot more bases and determine that pattern a little quicker. No, you're absolutely right. And one of the things I want to stress, you said you were experimenting in some private ponds close to your property. But there, you don't have to find private ponds. There are public ponds up and down the front range. Almost everybody lives by one. But what I do want to stress is 
social distancing. I went out and checked a few ponds the day before the front came through and just mostly did some checking, very little fishing. I just wanted to be able to report on them. I made a few casts, had a few bites, a few panfish and a bass hooked up. But um, there's uh, the first pond I went to is one that you and I frequent occasionally. And there were half a dozen cars there. And it certainly wasn't crowded. There were places to fish, but there were other ponds to check. So I said, you know what? leave these people a little bit of room to move on the shoreline. They're outdoors. They probably are close by. They're enjoying it. So I went and checked out some other ponds and was able to find some spots. But if you go to a place and it's crowded, Brad, and this goes whether it's, whether it's, you know, a lake or a pond or a trailhead or anything, if you go there and it's crowded, go somewhere else or come on a different time. Because if we want to keep these things open, we really have to give space to people. That's exactly right. You know, you have to give the space. You have to respect that, you know, maybe we're going to have some times that you aren't going to be able to get out and find areas that aren't, you know, overly packed with people. But if you're going to do it and and we want to keep it open, we do have to give that space. One other tip I, you know, suggest to people, and and I'm not a medical expert at all, but it's the way I'm going to be doing when I'm out fishing is, I've got those sun buffs that a lot of people wear. And so I'm going to just be wearing that, double it up over my face to act as my face mask and also to keep the sun off of me. And and it's something that naturally you wear outdoors or a lot of people have started to, to avoid burning. So many of our anglers already have that in their, their fishing equipment, which allows them to have something to uh, provide us with that face mask that the, the government is recommending right now, even when you're outdoors, because you never know when, if you're fishing some spot, all of a sudden someone walks, you know, fairly close behind you that you didn't even know because maybe you've snuck into a little spot in the willows to get a cast off and they don't realize you're there. So just a little bit of added precaution that way. I know at uh, Cherry Creek last weekend when people were launching boats, everyone was parking with at least one space between them. And if you wanted to talk to your buddy over there, you just yelled a little louder, but no one was going, you know, like we normally do where you sit there and maybe go over to someone else's boat and socialize for a little bit. It it was distance conversation and giving that added space. If we can, you know, practice that, we have a much better chance of keeping the outdoor opportunities open that, you know, some of the other states are losing right now. Yeah, I, I want to make a quick comment on the face masks, too. I have several of those, and I've started wearing them. I have always worn the big brimmed hats a lot of the time, people. And that wasn't a trademark. That was for sun protection. I've had skin cancers removed. But I wear the face masks, and you can easily fold them over and double them to cover your nose and mouth and have a two-layer protection. Um, When you do wear those for sun protection, don't forget to put sunscreen on the back of your hands. I, I used to do my face on the back of my hands at the same time. I started wearing the face mask. One day I forgot to put sunscreen in the back of my hands and I burnt them pretty bad. So be aware of what you're doing. And I wear the fishing gloves too. Last comment, Brad, I just want to take a quick minute. We don't have much time left, but you, uh, we did, we started the show talking about Lyme disease and you certainly know the effects that can have, don't you? I do. You know, I, uh, back in 2000 and, uh, well, I guess late 2012, I was diagnosed with it and it took me almost nine months of treatment to get over it. And it was something that I probably had had for five plus years, just backtracking the symptoms. 
At no point did I ever have that uh, bullseye rash that a lot of people say is common, but um, I, they did some blood tests to find out that I had it. In Colorado, you know, one of the things is, is it's not a common disease, so a lot of doctors don't look for it. I had to go to a Lyme literate doctor. But it's something, if you're going to be outdoors, take the precautions to avoid having ticks around. If you do have a tick on you and you start feeling ill within two or three days, you know, go see your doctor because if you start on those antibiotics right away, it is a lot easier to get rid of than once it's been become established in you and you have to go through, you know, like I say, mine was nine, almost 10 months worth of treatment to shake the Lyme disease and the co-infections. So, you know, now, use the long sleeves, all that, and then proper insect repellent. Now, I put um, an article on Facebook that I wrote for the Denver Post along with an interview, and I did another interview with Monica White, which will be podcast on the sh- on 104.3 The Fan today, later. And that's on the Lyme, all the diseases and the tick uh uh, coloradoticks.org is there but I think you also shared that article and it's a good one for people to read yes it is you know the more educated you are about what is potentially out there uh, the better off people are going to be at trying to prevent it and understanding how serious it can be I mean there's there's people with Lyme disease who you know get to the point that they can't hardly function it's it's a scary scary disease luckily I did not get to that point but um, it really opened my eyes, and both of us have friends back in Minnesota where it's a lot more common. You know, I have one friend back there who's had it three different times. Luckily, he gets the bullseye rash and is able to start his antibiotics quickly and get over it. But it it is so important for people to be aware of, and that article was a great one for you. All right, I got to let you go, but we'll um, we'll talk to you again very soon, Brad. I hope you get out and get to do some more fishing. All right, thanks, Terry. All right, that's Brad Peterson. We'll take a quick time out. We come back. We'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Woods from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to be wrapping things up. A few comments I want to make real quick. As you head out, whether it's to a trailhead, a pond, to fish, if you're going boating, remember, if you start grouping up and don't show proper social distancing, we're going to get some of this shut down. I noticed there was a number of boats out on one lake that had five or six people in them. And I know that makes it enjoyable, but boy, if they don't live in your residence, they're parks and other entities are going to start looking at that and saying, hey, you can't social distance in a boat, especially with that many people. So be cognizant of your behavior and how it could affect keeping our, our, our things open. If you're going to a park that has restrooms, be cautious and bring your own hand sanitation because they're going to have limited opportunities to clean those restrooms, and there's going to be a lot of people touching them, even if they're keeping distance. But the important thing is if you go somewhere, you want an outdoor activity, and it's crowded, Pick a different time or go somewhere else. But let's get outdoors and really enjoy this. It's good. It's great therapy. It's good for all of us. And let's make sure we keep it open. And I understand Dan Jacobs is in the studio right now. Mr. Jacobs, are you there? I'm here. How are you, Terry? I'm doing great. And usually you come in the studio when I'm not broadcasting from home and immediately throw a shot at me. So I thought this would be a great time to point out that you have no problem social distancing because nobody wants to hang out with you. Hey, you know, I was going to say something nice I'd heard about you this week, and so I guess I'll do that. 
Hey, it was, <laughs> I was listening last week, and I know you wouldn't brag about yourself, but the kind of the forefathers of fishing and the fishing community did something really nice for you, which I know you haven't talked about, but I was listening to Austin last week. I didn't realize they had named a bait after you. You know, because Austin okay, was Austin was talking about all these new jerk baits, and I'm like, "Oh, Terry <laughs> finally got one. That's awesome." <laughs> you know, all these years we could have been friends, it just never worked out, did it? <laughs> yeah. Now let me tell you this though: I was so I was out. Uh, somebody actually, I ran into somebody, and they said something very, very nice uh, about Terry Wickstrom. Uh, they'd seen him speak at an event, and uh, just really moving, really impactful. Uh, but it wasn't. You, Terry Wickstrom, it was your son, Terry Wickstrom, and uh, he had done a phenomenal job at this thing, and uh, I thought, well, that that clarifies things. (laughs) All right. Well, you, of course, you and I have known each other for decades. You went to school with my kids, and we had activities together, and uh, I forget how many stints you've had on uh, the fan. I'm sure you're going to talk some Broncos draft and things coming up. I, if I don't get off the air here in about six seconds, you're going to accuse me of stealing your time. Well, now. you've already stolen about half my first segment, but that's what you no, do. No, no, I Terry. go till 59 right now. I just no, no, three no, seconds no, no, into no. your time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, Dan, Thanks, have Terry. a great show. Be safe. See you next week. All right. You bet. This wraps it up for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour. And Dan Jacobs with sports on 104.3 The Fan.